Welcome back to Deceptive Methods, which is a podcast about historical conspiracies. And my name is Amanda. I have a degree in history, which I will say in every single episode because it's one of the things I'm most proud of in my life. (laughs) And I am going to tell my partner, Jesse, a historical conspiracy that he doesn't know what it's going to be. I have no clue what she's going to tell me. And I'm so excited. Mm -hmm. It's been a while. Yes. Sorry for the long break. Well, the reason for that, I I, I am full of excuses. Mm-hmm. I am an excuser. So the reason for that is because I wrote almost a whole other episode and I was really chugging, was really chugging through it. And I read a whole book and I did some research and I'm like, I'm just really not into this. Mm. And um, I have a really hard time letting things go, as you know. Your sunk cost fallacy. Yes, I am a sunk coster, and I just I will plow through it. I mean, even until just uh, until a couple years ago, I wouldn't even stop reading a book I didn't like, and I had to slowly give myself permission to like let things go, like not work on a piece of art that I don't like. And I even got to the point where I threw some of them away, but then I would go to the garage and get them back out of the garbage. I kind of remember that, yeah. And I was like, I hate it. And then I would go out and sneak it back in. I've run into that a few times where I agree to do a review, but then I'm kind of stuck because I agreed they gave us the code and I, we kind of have to. Yeah. So then I power through. But yeah. Yeah, it's like you feel obligated. I mean, I don't feel obligated, but I just, I, I can't let things go. Yeah, if I want to keep a good relationship with those companies, I, I have to. Yeah, I feel like it, I feel like it's like a baby I can't abandon, like a project or a piece of art. Um, but anyway, so that's the reason. And today, I know this, this isn't really um, the most popular era, but it's a very long era. So there's really a lot involved in it as you go along. But it's not really the most popular era, but... My degree was mainly focused in medieval history, mm-hmm. um, so I am going to go back to my beloved Middle Ages. Um, I'll allow it. And, you know, people think it's not exciting, but I'm here to tell you it's exciting. Yeah, it's exciting to me. So this is this is not actually Middle Ages. It's It's really like um, Renaissance period, like very Renaissance. late. Renaissance. Yeah, very late. Um, Middle Ages, so it's it's bordering on modern, early modern history. Um, and if you didn't know, this time is heavily caught up in the uh, Protestant Revolution. Ah, yep. This is when that happens. So, so like maybe those ten books, there were ten those ten uh, pages in your history books that talk about it, um, or you like spent a week maybe learning about it, this super important time in history. But, um, you know, it, it really created the turning point for our for our history, Western history. Um, so, you know, this is going to be an event that's caught up in the Protestant Revolution. Um, and it's going to be about a massacre. Oh, how lovely. But it's a, a very important and horrible massacre. But um, maybe orchestrated by a witch? Hmm. Okay. Question mark. 
um, a witch in the highest level of power. Witch Pope? <laughs> that would be very interesting. Um, so it's, you know, is she is is she actually to to blame and and who who is she? This could be. Um and her name is Catherine de Medici. Catherine de Medici? Medici. Medici. Yes. You you might have heard of the Medicis. Mm-hmm. You probably should have heard of Catherine, but maybe you haven't. I mean you might have if heard I about did, it. it's almost always through Assassin's Creed. Oh, right. I'm like, uh, you know, I'm 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 honestly asking you because, you know, I don't. Nope, I have no I, idea. It's not immediately ticking off, but neither did Catherine the Great. So um, right. it might <laughs> pop into my head eventually. Yeah, we were like halfway through the episode and I'm like, I- I'm talking to you like you knew who I was talking about. And I realized. I'd heard the name Catherine the Great in the past. That was about it. You've heard the name. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the Medicis, they're a part. They're um, a part of our collective historical knowledge, like you know them in passing, but you know they only shaped a, a few centuries of yeah, Euro- nothing big European so, politics, yeah. like no big deal. Um, and and a lot of people equate them with like Machiavellianism, mm-hmm. you know, like that's like, you know, that's it in uh in family form, really. Um. So if you don't know the Medicis, uh, they were a Tuscan banking, commerce, and political dynasty that rose to prominence under Cosimo de' Medici in the 13th century, which is the 1200s. Um, and the and house... Tuscan would be Tuscany, Italy? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, thanks for correcting me. What? Just adding, yeah, that's what you're here adding for. a little more context that, and information. And just I'm not to being sure sarcastic. I had thought that things yes, correctly. That's what you're here for. You mm-hmm. are you are the people. Yes. You're the I'm a font board. of encyclopedic knowledge, thanks to Google. And um, video games. Yes, and Assassin's Creed. Assassin's Creed, yes. I forgot what it was called. So the house itself rose to power in the first half of the 15th century. And Cosimo founded the Medici Bank and it became the largest bank in Europe, like kings and queens and entire Guillotines? Oh. Yeah, <laughs> borrowed from the bank. And um, because of the power of the bank, they eventually rose to power politically, of course. Yes. And the family were patrons of Michelangelo and Da Vinci and Botticelli and Galileo, you know. I do know it, it happened. All It all happened in Assassin's Creed, too. <laughs> Wow, you do know. Mm-hmm. So I wonder. So maybe you do know about what this is. Maybe you played it in the game mm. when you hear about that it. That was mostly about the Borgias. Oh, yeah, the, the other the the Medici wannabes. Yep, <laughs> <laughs> they're pro- actually a, a, probably a little bit more interesting. The Medici's are interesting, but I've heard people are like those are the ones that are like they they got their own show wild. on Showtime. Yeah, the, I'm sorry, Medici's. Did you get your own show? Um, but also, were they kings and queens? Mm, they might have had they might have assassin's creed 2 one of them was a pope with a piece of uh alien tech that made him super powered yeah i mean yeah Mm -hmm. we all know that yeah uh so speaking of of popes there the house could claim four popes so there's leo the 10th clement the 7th Pius the 6th and leo the 11th and two of these popes are in this story oh so and they also Produced two queens of France, Jeez. which is this Catherine and Marie. Antoinette? No, I'm no. kidding. I know. She's <laughs> much later. Marie. Um, ah, Jason Bourne's wife. Yeah. Oh, really? 
Assassin's no, Creed. <laughs> you know, anything's possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and the house came to an end in, in 1737 with the death of the line. So they were <gasps> around for a really long time. Wow. What if so, I just change my name to Medici? Could I restart the line? I mean, technically, under American law, <laughs> you can change your name. So we're going to uh, look a bit, a, lo- a little bit more than a bit, into the, into the person behind the look event. A whole lot, because um, you know, Catherine is probably more interesting than the event itself. Mm. You know, sorry, apologies to the event, but yeah, eat shit event. <laughs> So Catherine de' Medici is the most famous female member of the Medici family, and she became the queen of France and one of the most notorious queens Ooh, of France. That so, is a place with a lot of notorious monarchs. Yeah. That in England. Um, I really, all of them are. Yep. Um, just in their different ways. But I think France and England have like the most popular like Buckwild <laughs> monarchs. Um, so she was the mother of three kings. Mother and- of dragons. She she even has like a whole ass age attributed to her. So mm. the age of Catherine de' Medici Ooh. and during the 30 years of her son's reigns where she acted as regent. Mm. To some, she is considered a witch and she's labeled a poisoner, <gasps> which had connotations oh, back then. Okay. Um, and she was nicknamed the Black Queen. And she is also somewhat blamed for starting the French Wars of Religion, but that's because she was when they started happening and this character of her has survived a long time until now so oh, we're gonna change it we're gonna we're gonna talk about it baby. we're gonna make we're gonna, all of the um universities in france change their gonna ideas about this woman educate the world shit uh leo the 10th becomes the new pope in 1513 and he replaced his brother as the ruler of florence so at this time, the rulers of Florence were known as the the Duke of Urbino. Like they weren't kings, but in Italy in this time wasn't a unified country. Yeah. It was just a bunch of different It wasn't kingdoms. called Italy even, was it? Italy's like yeah. a more, was it? Was um, like the, the, round, the area of Italy? Because Italy always had like that. I think it, it had some form of the name. I don't know exactly. Probably like Italia or something well, yeah. as the region. Um, so really it was the major cities like ruled themselves as mm-hmm. kingdoms. Which, I remember that from Assassin's Creed. Oh my God, you're going to educate me so hard during <laughs> this. <laughs> so he so he replaces his brother as the Duke of Urbino um, with his nephew, Lorenzo de' Medici. Really, um, I'm going to say like a bunch of names in the beginning, but really you can just forget them. Just remember the Pope's name, <laughs> basically. Um, and Pope Leo arranges a marriage with the French king, Francis I, between uh-huh. Lorenzo, who's the nephew, who's the Duke of Urbino, and Madeline, with a French name that I put in here, but I'm not going to attempt to pronounce it. And to be fair, she's minor. So. Oh, okay. She's a minor? She, no, well, she's minor. She's a minor character. Oh. Like, this is it. This is it for her, uh, is she gave birth to Catherine. Hmm. Um, she's 16 and an orphaned bourbon heiress. And the Bourbons are a junior, uh, junior line of the royal family. So the two get along, and they conceive quickly. Luckily, and their daughter Caterina, which is her Italian name, but from she'll be Catherine from now on. She is born in April of 1519. 
April 19th, 1519. Isn't mm. that your sister's birthday? I think it might be. I, I read that. I was like, oh, I think that's your sister's birthday. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they have the same birthday. Great woman of history. And they're both poisoners. And, and I'm kidding. I'm, my sister's And black very nice. queens. <laughs> <gasps> well, your sister would have liked to have been the black queen. Mm, she was pretty goth for pretty a while. Pretty goth in yeah. the 90s. So um, both, of the, both of her parents die within a few weeks of her being born. Ooh. So that's why they're kind of minor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Lorenzo had a bad case of syphilis. Ah. So he probably gave that to his wife. And I and it sounds like Catherine had congenital syphilis. Like, I don't think she had issues because of it, but you can pass syphilis on from like a couple generations. And I mean, it'll come back later. Um, not with her having syphilis, but it makes a little appearance. Just in general, syphilis will always come back. Yeah, it'll come back to haunt you. And you can, you know, give it to your babies and all that. Um, Francis, King Francis and Leo know that Catherine is a valuable pawn. I mean, person. Mm. Oh. Person. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Leo refuses to let Francis take her to the French court, even though she is a bourbon through her mother, uh, because he would lose control of her. And she would be kind of like a fosterling prisoner. A fosterling. She wouldn't be a prisoner, but... You know, women were kind of tossed around. It would kind of be like, um, now the Game of Thrones is back, we can reference it again. So it would kind of be like Theon Greyjoy, except not a prisoner of war. But Like, you call them a ward, but they're not really a ward. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's weird. But it is her family, mm-hmm. kind of. So, I mean, the, king, the, uh, the royalty, the royal family in France is, is the Valois, and the Bourbons are, like, below that. Uh, Catherine is sent to Rome, and Leo makes her the Duchess of Urbino. And Leo is a Leo is a Medici. Mm-hmm. He's one of the Medici popes. His plan is to marry her to another Medici son and set them up as puppet rulers of Florence. Because we we all know the pope is the one who actually rules the kingdom. Is still a baby? Not the name rulers. Yeah. Mm. I mean, you can start making plans as soon yeah, as they're as soon as they're out. That's when you start mm-hmm. making plans. I mean, he can. And Leo dies in 1521, and the new pope is Adrian VI, and he is a reformist and also hates the Medici family. He takes back Catherine's duchy and gives it back to the original family. Catherine moves back to Florence, and her guardian is is one of her uncles, Cardinal Julio. (laughs) Adrian dies two years after ascending the papal throne, and the method is probably poison. And Uncle Cardinal Julio then becomes the new pope, Clement VII. And after this, Clement raises her like a princess. Mm. I'm not going to keep saying Julio. I'm just going to say Julio. Because <laughs> I actually don't really know which one, like how they pronounce it. I probably should know, but I don't. Florentines aren't happy with the Medici family being in control because even though Julio slash Clement is the pope, he's still micromanaging Florence. Yeah. And in 1526, when Catherine is seven years old, Clement joins this sort of alliance between France, England, Florence, and Venice. And they're going to say Florence and the machine. (laughs) That'd be cool. They are opposing the eventual Holy Roman Emperor Charles V. They call themselves the League of Cognac. By 1527, Charles's imperial soldiers end up sacking Rome, and Clement eventually has to pay his own ransom with his papal jewels. Jeez. 
While this is happening, the Florentines use the opportunity to take back the Republic and they overthrow the Medicis. And now facing an anti-Florentine mob, Catherine and her guardian manage to escape the Medici palace, but she is taken by an armed escort to a convent, the Santa Lucia convent, which was plague-ridden at the time. And from this point on, she lives in convents for, for her childhood. At the, at the assistance of a French ambassador, she's taken from the plague-ridden convent to an aristocratic one. And this would be the Santa Maria Inuziato de la Marate. I, I know exactly. I have no idea what that means. <laughs> Me neither. Um, if I really thought about it, I could figure it out, but I don't have 30 seconds to, to think about it. Um, and that was supported by the Medicis and educated aristocratic women. And it wasn't unusual for wealthy aristocratic and noble families to send a daughter to a convent, um, which to one of the better ones with fellow nobles. And they usually lived a nice, peaceful life where they became very educated. And more than a few throwaway daughters, you know, like when you have too many daughters and not enough men to go around. Relatable. Mm, yep. <laughs> Actually, um, they preferred this life where they could learn and live outside the patriarchy as much as one could back then. And other girls or women might have been forced there because of their behavior or they were causing problems and being difficult. Mm-hmm. Like they wanted to actually live their life how Living they wanted to. Living in hysterics to. and poisoning everyone. and Yeah, or or they were gay and wanted to be <gasps> there and not oh. marry, so they would act out on purpose. Because, <laughs> you know, it was... And then they made a movie called Benedetta about it. Yeah, they were known to um, want to go there. Some mm-hmm. women, of course they did. In 1529, Florentine extremists who are still unhappy with the Medici rule and in opposition to Clement and Charles trying to work out some kind of peace, they plan to delete this powerful pawn of Clement and Charles. And that that would be Catherine. They would like to delete her. And uh, they come up with a lot of different options for Catherine's death. Um, And... Here, here's a couple. Uh, they wanted to lower her naked over the city walls where the Imperial allies might accidentally kill her. And one of the other ones is to dump her in a military brothel. What, why isn't... How old is she? She's what? 10. Yeah, why? Just why? Because people are have always been horrible. Mm. And unbelievably horny towards kids throughout history, and I don't... Yeah, it's kind of gross. Yeah, well, you want to kill her, so you can't just, you know, stab her. We can't just kill her. We got to throw her to a... a, We got to get her naked and hope a bunch of other people will kill her or throw her in a brothel and hope she gets fornicated to death. It's like, it's the dumbest thing. Uh, So the extremists uh, end up coming for her at the Marate convent. I believe it. In preparation, she shaves her head, puts on a habit, and dares them to take a spouse of Christ from her convent. (laughs) And she's 11 years old, by the way. So she's taken from the convent and surprisingly, surprisingly, she isn't harmed. She does have to ride through the city on a donkey and she's taken back to the plague convent, the Santa Mm. Lucia. But they really just didn't want to kill her themselves. They They were just hoping something else would would do it. Yeah. Uh, But it doesn't take long for Clement to regain control of the city. Uh, She's sent to... Then she's sent to Rome to live with a great aunt, Lucrezia Salviata, and that's Lorenzo the Magnificent's daughter. So he's another famous mm. member of the Medici Lucrezia. family. Yeah, Lucrezia. Lucrezia, probably. Now um, now it's time to make a match. You know, she's 11. 
Yay. Clement organizes Catherine's betrothal to Henry, a French prince, the second son uh-huh. of Francis uh, Francis I, the guy that he's the guy that the Medici's been working with. Um, and the second son is is uh, traditionally called a duke. So if you wondered like the different titles, you know what they mean. A duke is a second son. And he so he's not the heir, but he is a prince. And luckily, he's the same age as her. He's only uh. two weeks older. Always oh, older great. though. That's great. even with us. I'm two years older in yeah. two years, two months to the day. Yeah, I know. We got the same Crayle day. Robin. Um, so usually royal matches are made with like the nobles relatively the same age. I mean, most of the time they're close to the same age. Um, especially when they're when they're betrothing children. You know, most of the time they're they're about the same age. Uh, but sometimes they aren't, and so this is a lucky one. Um, and Henry ha- has a similar life to Catherine's. Um, his mother dies when he's five years old. And when he's six, he's traded along with his eight-year-old brother as collateral to Spain because of his father's loss in conquest. Remember, he's also a member of the League of Cognac. So they're yeah. just like, they're just causing all kinds of problems. Uh, the exchange takes place on a raft, in a, on rafts in a river. Okay. Um it, it yeah it's like imagine you're six six years old and you wake up one day and you're told you're being taken from your family to a, a strange place and with people you've never met before um and you don't know when you'll see your family again and, and you get like, on a rickety raft and yeah. go in the middle of a river and get tossed onto another rickety raft traded in a river on a raft traded on a river oh um, a funny little aside about that is is one of the women in the departing raft is 25-year-old Diane de Poitiers, and she was a caregiver to him, and she gives him a kiss as he departs, and she later becomes his mistress oh. until his death. Departier. De Poitiers. No, depart, because they were departing. Yeah, Departier. The departed. Dude. All this is happening when, when the Imperials are sacking Rome. So when so they're walking around just hitting everything with their genitals. Yeah. They're sacking. Yeah, they're sacking all over the place. Um, so this this is the same time that's happening when um Catherine is in Rome about to be taken to the convent. And so they're in captivity at the same time, basically. Uh after and then after a French spy is found near where the princes are being kept in Spain, <laughs> they are they are moved to a prison cell. No, like no beds, no education, no exercise. Plenty of rats and roaches. Yeah, they're they're literally kept as prisoners, and and they're completely alone um, since nobody who was originally taking care of them is around anymore. And this ends. The pr- the prison sentence ends when the people of France and Spain really want peace, but the rulers don't. Mm. So Francis and Charles cannot work out any sort of peace arrangement, and Francis. Francis's mother, King Francis's mother, and Charles's aunt, they get the boys released from prison from prison with for a lot of money. Mm. So they're like, you know what? This is ridiculous. We're just We are going to get them out of here. So we're like, we're getting them out. This is ridiculous. So King Francis has to pay that ransom. And Henry is now eleven and, and this is fifteen thirty, and they've been in prison for four years. Boy, that really sucks. Yeah. So it's funny because it's like uh, you know, France, the like the mother of the queen, or the mother of the king, Francis, and and then 
the the mother of uh you know the imperial mm-hmm. emperor like they're like come on yeah <laughs> get your shit together yeah. boys you know they're on opposing sides and they're like can we please like get these children but remember women are too emotional we got to yeah, have the they, men in charge yeah they can't get things done uh to make and to make everything worse francis thinks that they are sullen dreamy and sleepy children and he very obviously prefers his youngest son and more French son, technically, um, because he's lively and gay, which is the mark of being a French man. And the brothers were not, you know, because they'd been in prison for four years. Yeah, I'm sorry they weren't the, the life of the party after having to, yeah. you know, spend their youths playing with rats. Yeah. And, you know, they, they'd been traded as collateral and grew up in a Spanish pris- prison. Yeah. So they were basically Spanish at this point. I mean, they had to speak Spanish and all that um, because not like they could speak French to anyone if, you know, they even saw that many people. Before Catherine, Henry's first betrothal was with Mary Tudor. And that Ah. falls through. That's Mm -hmm. Bloody Mary. Yeah. Which is an accurate name, to be honest. But she had an absolutely terrible childhood. So um, anyway, this area is wild. Telling you it's wild. Everybody's connected. Every story. Yeah, I always thought she was Bloody Mary because she her menstrual cycle just never ended. No. That's what I was told growing up. Don't ever say that again. (laughs) (laughs) She was Bloody Mary because she wanted to kill all the Protestants in England and return Uh it to Catholicism. Because, you know, Henry VIII cut ties with the Catholic Church because he wanted to marry. I watched the show The Tudors. I saw that. Yeah, so he wanted to be head of his own. He This guy had an ego. Mm-hmm. So anyway. Um, he was very handsome in the show. It didn't match real life at all. Well, he was handsome when he was young. Oh, true. Um, yeah. So she wanted to return England to Catholicism, so she thought the best way to do that was to literally kill all the Protestants. I mean, probably would have worked if she had succeeded. She had killed all of them. There's no, I mean. She didn't succeed. I know. I'm just saying, but if she had killed, you know. It would have worked. Yeah. I mean, it was a plan. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Clement is asked to find little Henry a bride, and Catherine is put up as an option. Thanks, Uncle Pope. (laughs) The marriage is considered a great triumph since Clement and France have been on the shit list in Europe, so they think this match will make a great alliance and show Europe they are still a force. Um, We're going to sell off our little girl. Oh wait, no, they're not French or Italian. Yeah, and it's it's actually like it's it's kind of like Trump. They're like, this is the greatest match ever made, and they're like, this is the greatest match ever made. We are, oh no, I'm doing French again. Never mind. Catherine's trousseau, aka bridal goods, includes three pounds of gold, two pounds of silver, two pounds of silk, and also pearls. And those are just for the gown. Oh, I was gonna say it didn't sound like that much. Yeah, that's for, for the gown. Yeah. Um, That's a heavy gown. My God. Yeah, it's probably going to be real big. She also receives a crystal casket, huge diamonds, emeralds, and rubies. But most of the people around the country can't eat. Because the rich people need their shiny baubles. Yeah. She heads to Marseille in 1533. Is it not Marseille? It can be both. Marseille. Marceau. Marseille. Um, So she heads there in 1533. The marriage is super elaborate, and there are celebrations for days. Were there clowns? I don't think there was clowns. It's not that elaborate. Jesters. They usually had some dwarves running around. 
Little Pete. Wait, no, doors works. Never mind. Yeah, doors is fine. The marriage is official on October 27th, 1533, and they are 14 years old. They're expected to consummate in front of Clement and Francis. What? Clement gives King Francis a unicorn tusk. No. Which is, is a narwhal tusk. Oh, okay. They were very popular back then. Poor narwhals, man. They're just up whales the... always get the short end of the <sighs> stick. Even killer whales get it, and they're not even whales. They're not? I'm pretty sure they're sharks. I don't think so. It might be dolphin family, but they're not whales. Oh, okay. All right. You keep going. I'm going to Google that. Okay. Catherine is now the Duchess, and Clement dies a year after the wedding, and the new Pope, Paul III, refuses to continue to pay Catherine's dowry. Oh, they are dolphins. I was right. On I, I had it wrong on the shark. They are, while orcas are members of the marine dolphin family Delphinidae, their overall size is what sets them apart in their suborder. They do kind of look like dolphins. Yeah. I just remember they're not whales. Okay. That's it. Okay. So the new Pope, Paul III, refuses to continue to pay Catherine's dowry. The horror. You know, the church should be paying queen's dowries. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, this is one of the most frustrating parts of being a, a royal woman. Like, people really get creative about not paying the dowry. <laughs> Uh, things get really sticky when when a debtor dies, debtor dies, and other people are like, "Well, he was the one that organized this, so good luck." Now you got <laughs> now you Tough got to a tease, woman no? to deal with. <laughs> King Francis feels he was cheated, even you know, somebody died, um, and it's not like familial. The Pope, I mean, the Pope isn't supposed like the office isn't supposed to be familial. Yeah. So, you know, one Pope agrees to pay a dowry that doesn't mean the next pope has to pay it so now he, he's got like a merchant princess with no return on investment basically um henry's brother the dauphin um the dauphin is the french heir mm. they're called dauphin and he dies after a game of vigorous tennis Jeez. apparently that's a thing i mean how old was he do you need, well do you know um, not that old. I don't think he's like a heart condition or something. Yeah, I mean, tennis matches are surprisingly a bad idea in this this story. As you'll see, there's another bad idea involving a tennis match. I mean, almost anything at this point in history seemed like it was, a could be idea. a very bad idea to do. Yeah, supposedly he caught a chill after the game. So, um, of course, suspicions were that Catherine and Emperor Charles poisoned him. Uh, a nobleman, a nobleman, did admit under torture that he poisoned the prince, and he was executed. So mystery solved. <laughs> Catherine is having a hard time conceiving, and this becomes more of an issue now that they need an heir for the heir, <laughs> since Henry already has a child with another woman. Um, so it's actually not him. That's the problem, most likely. And, you know, in the time when failure to conceive was always the woman's fault. Um, but she gets a little bit of a pass because King Francis actually really likes her. Mm. Um, she learned a lot of charms and, um, you know, she was very smart from growing up in the convent. And in fact, many people in the court liked her. Um, she was intelligent and she had a desire to please. She liked to please people. Um, dutifully, she tries all kinds of cures, potions and elixirs including tricks consisting of dung, ground antlers, and urine. At least it wasn't all at once. That we know of. 
And she even drills a hole in the floor of her room to watch Henry and Diane to see if she's doing something wrong, even though it really it really hurts her to do that. But she's like, what am I doing wrong? Yeah, I mean, there's I mean, there's only so much you can I mean, unless you're just sticking it in the belly button. There's not much. It's like surprisingly like royal people had a like a really hard time conceiving because it's like nobody really tells them what to do. Mm. They're just like. Now go consummate. And nobody really explains what they need to do. Um, but this took an exceptionally long time. It took 10 years Ooh. for her to conceive. Um, but before she does actually conceive, Catherine and Henry's medical exams, they finally get a medical exam. Oh. So show that both of the partners are slightly abnormal, even though it was actually Henry. So, so I guess it was just luck of the draw that he already had a baby because it's believed that he had hypospadias which is a common abnormality abnormality of the penis when the urethra does not open from its usual location on the head of the penis. Mm. So I guess it's just luck of the draw. He just got lucky. So it could be like a little a little made it out the the top like it should have and dribbled out. Or kind of like got into the area and managed to get inside. But like you know your urethra hole is supposed to come out the top, but sometimes it could come like anywhere down the shaft. Mm. It can open all the way down to the testicles. So. Yikes. You got to learn how to aim really well if we're doing that. Yeah, it would almost be like scissoring. All right, honey, you <laughs> open up. Get it hold it open. I'm going to uh, finish myself. Okay, let's all right, it let's cut it off. I'm cutting it off. I'm cutting it off. Too late. After this exam, they receive some instruction about what to do, um, probably telling them something along of, you guys actually have to have sex and with each other. <laughs> and Catherine gives birth to a son, Francis, named after the king, who was kind to her even though she came to him stark naked, as he said, as in she came to him with nothing since her dowry was unpaid. Mm. She ends up having 10 children. Jesus. Seven survived, which is a lot. Yeah, that's that's way more than the, you know, you were lucky if you had a 50-50. Yeah. So, I mean, luckily, seven survived, and that was four boys and three girls. Um, three useless ones. And it, it's always amazing to me to like anybody having that many children back then without dying themselves. Yeah. Like, that's lucky. Like, we were just talking the other night. Sometimes I, I stop and think about even myself and how I pro like if I was alive back then, I probably would have died, you know, if not with like my with our oldest son, Gabriel. And then like for sure with Lily, because um, my gallbladder went bad. Mm -hmm. It was like exacerbated by the birth. So, you know, I'd be dead. I wouldn't have even made it. And probably and you think about your parents, would they have even made it to even make you? And it's, yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's like, then you get that Dr. Manhattan realization yeah. about, Holy crap. It's really lucky that yeah. you exist. It's a miracle that one person lives right now. Think about all the ancestors you've had from the beginning of time for you to be here. It's like, I can't believe it. <laughs> so Catherine's last pregnancy was with twins and it was a horrible pregnancy. Um, one baby died in the womb. Ow. And then the other shortly after. And and Catherine herself almost died. So, like, people in modern times have to get abortions. Like, if a twin dies, like, you got to get it out. Yeah, but you're not allowed and then, to do that anymore. Yeah, well, I know. It sucks. I know. So, But I was like, imagine not having that option. Like, well, we don't really have to imagine anymore. Um, yeah, I heard about the... The governor of South Carolina, who hearing or North Carolina, one of the two is hearing doctors telling him about 
you know, people are going to die because even though the baby is technically passed away, there's still electrical Mm-hmm. pulses which that's it, it's to call it that early a heartbeat is really misleading because it's not really a heartbeat it's just electrical just electrical pulses inside the body it's not technically a heartbeat but since there was still electric ele- you know electricity happening in there they couldn't give her an abortion and she you know you have a baby rotting inside of you it's just it's horrible and then like back then they they couldn't get a baby out they probably didn't even know it was dead to be honest um no. so I didn't find the details, but it looks like um, both the infants had the same birthday. So the death of one probably caused her to go into labor and then they both died. And all but one of the survivors of the children, it's always it's always sucky to have to say the survivors. Um, but all all but one of the children are quite sickly. They oh, yeah. have they have sores and dementia, which is believed to be from the congenital syphilis. Oh. And I did a brief search to find out how this would happen. And it means like that Catherine probably had the congenital syphilis from her mother and then passed it down to her children because the mother passes it to the baby, obviously. Um, And it can be passed generationally. So it doesn't seem like she had issues herself from it, but she passed it on. All right. Now let's talk about Queen Catherine. At 28, she and Henry become the king and queen of France after Francis is killed in a jousting accident. Like jousting. We saw that in Game of Thrones last weekend. It's very dangerous. It's like it's like the hubris. You know, they really think nothing will happen to them. And so many of them die from jousting. Well, it's it's during times of no war and you've got to keep pretending and you gotta be the sport. manliest man. Yeah, it's like it's the only sport they knew. Now at least our sports um slowly kill you over time with brain injuries <laughs> that we pretend don't happen. Um finally have kind of stopped pretending they don't happen, but not to the point where then those leagues become uh they're on the hook for having to pay for all the uh awful things that have happened to the people that played their sports, but it's getting a little better. Yeah, and now people are like, now all the rules of football, they're, they're pansies. They can't even why touch each wearing, other anymore. Why are they wearing these giant helmets? And it's like, well, because they all have horrible brain injuries, and yeah. so many of them commit suicide or have horrible <laughs> lives after they retire. Yeah, like they're not even allowed to hit each other anymore. They're not allowed to kick someone in the face or whatever. I know, it's horrible. And uh, Kicking so, people in the face on foot on a football field is pretty fun. From experience? No. No. Moving on. Catherine is really involved in her family life. She loves her kids. Um, no matter how derpy they are. Yeah, or how, how much, how many sores they have. Mm. Uh, she does have to, or dementia. Mm. Little kids with dementia. She does have to deal with Henry's mistress, Diane, which is a bummer. She has to deal with her for the rest of his life. Like the darn royal love triangles. And Diane, it's really some, it could be Dion, Diane, um, has so much control over Henry that he actually wears her colors over Catherine's. Like, it's humiliating to Catherine. It's like Catherine the Great and Peter. You know, how he just wanted to humiliate her. No matter how long we go through history, the same things always pop up. And like, oh, this is my color. This is my sigil. This is my... Even and then you go into like gang colors and all these things. Like yeah. it just it always pops up in every 
every facet of history yeah. everywhere on it's the like planet. It's like in high school where like, you know, he gave me his jacket to wear. You know, like, oh, he didn't give it to his girlfriend. He gave it to me. <laughs> it's just like, I don't know, just how people are. And, you know, it's like, why can't why can't you just love the person you're forced to marry? Mm-hmm. Just love them. How dare you enjoy the person you're not married to? Yeah. Wait. You know, <laughs> royal problems. <laughs> yeah, I know. But Everyone else is dying. They're shitting in buckets and tossing them out the windows on each other and can't ew. find any good food. And yeah. But you got a royal love triangle to, you know, to do. People always with. talk about like time travel and stuff. And like, I wouldn't, I would not want to go back ever. I would never want to go back in time. I'm lucky enough to be white so I could go in all the places white people are. And be probably okay if I if I speak their language and sound like them, which I won't. Like all those things that hit. Boy, I can't imagine ever going back to any of these times. I've thought about it, but it's like you would have to go. Um, you'd have to go back in time, but not talk to anybody. You would just like observe. And then because... they call you a weirdo witch, and they burn you because you're a woman who's not serving man. Yeah, but you know, not everybody was like that. Some people would probably be really interested in like what the fuck is this? <laughs> um, but in in actuality, Henry does grow closer and closer to her and he respects her and he does give her regency when he's away, you know, when he's like doing wars and stuff. And and doing his mistress. Yeah. I'm surprised he didn't give her the regency. Mm. That would have been yeah. That's kind of illegal. At least a bit too far. Yeah, no? that's a little too far. I don't know. Probably somebody's done it at some point. So Catherine's life really starts to take off and get spicy when she's 40. Mm. You know, that's when you're in your prime. Two two of the children get married. And well, you know what's expected? A dowry. Jousting. Oh, jousting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You can't have a royal celebration without jousting it's like illegal and Catherine she knows something bad will happen and Catherine feels that she has a second sight hmm. but also jousting is really dangerous yeah um, uh, if my kids go drag racing next to a cliff I'm gonna be pretty scared because I have a second sight yeah you just know it but uh Henry the second dies from a lance to the eye and brain it's 1559 and it takes him 10 days to die. Ooh. 10 days from getting jousted in the eye and the brain. It's like at this point, it's like somebody just kill him. Like just somebody just smother him. Oh my God. It, you know, it's 10 days to die from a lance to the brain. But I mean, if you're really hoping that your prayers to Sky Daddy will work. Oh yeah, that's true. Like what if Jesus it's just God's reaches will. down and goes in and plucks out the evil? It's God's will for him to and take like 10 days to die. some good and bam, he's good as new. Maybe even better. Maybe he won't have any more sores or dementia. It's not him. Okay. <laughs> he's not the one that has it. Um, I figured not if he was able to joust. I mean, it doesn't seem like these issues are really affect them as in like they can't rule or live their lives. It's just. It's, doesn't, yeah, you don't have to be smart to be royal. It's just like an aside mm-hmm. that they, they dealt with these health issues, but it's it doesn't impede it. Not in this story. And throughout history, a lot of really dumb people have ruled. So it's fine. Mostly dumb people. Uh, now, um, Francis is the king. 
Hmm. He's 15 years old and he becomes King Francis II. And back in the day when an underage heir uh, becomes a king or queen, um, they um, need, they don't, they don't rule until they're at their majority. Yeah, like Joffrey wasn't the ruler. Yeah. They had people that are Cersei that was. are ruling for them and teaching them. So I, most of the time, the majority is like 14 or 15. Um, he's 15, but he's also not mentally 15, hmm. emotionally 15. And They're like most boys. Yeah, right? Not ready to be king when you're 15. Can you imagine Gabe being a king of something? <sighs> Okay, let's not go there. So there, there weren't many countries uh, without Salic law, and Salic law is a set of ancient civil laws from the sixth-century Frankish court. And one of the best-known tenets of those laws are about succession, and that forbade women from becoming rulers in any capacity. Surprisingly, um, and I- England was one of those countries without Salic law, and that's why we have English queens and. Um, Scotland and Sweden and and parts of France back in the day, um, like Netherlands, eventually Austria. And so, you know, so women can become queens, but France, they can't. So, and that's because of Salic law. Thanks, Salic law. Eat shit, Salic law. Yeah. So until they be, and, and then back to what we were talking about before. So they need to have a regent until they reach the majority and the, the regency that's, those are the positions that, that cause like wars and stuff, you know, um, it's pretty hard for a woman to get that position. Uh, they have to be like really tough to be a region to be like, no, this is going to be me. And sometimes it was the only way for women to take some power in the countries where they couldn't become Queens. And like queen Victoria in 300 years, she wears black for the rest of her life and she t- changes her sigil to a broken lance. Very dramatic. She should have changed it to a lance going through an eye. No. And a brain. They that would be interesting. That would be like in Game of Thrones with the flayed, mm-hmm. the flayed man sigil. Is she as bad as a Bolton? Not really. Okay, I was gonna say they're they're really hard. I mean, bar to what reach. happens in the story is really bad, but overall, it's like it's like a bad thing that kind of happened to a person that really wasn't that bad, but they did a really bad thing. Hmm. Um, you know, and you know, it, it's very dramatic, but it's like how can you how can you be a regent and a powerful woman without dramatics? You know, you got to be dramatic. She serving as regent for three sons through the rest of her life. And and that lasts 30 years. So mm-hmm. for the rest of her life, she's going to be a regent. And during her entire life in France, Catherine was villainized constantly and, and still is today. There were quite a few issues the French people took with her. First and foremost, she was simply Italian, ah. even though she was half French, but she was Italian. Mm-hmm. And Italians at this time, especially women, were often suspected as being murderous. And more particularly, they were poisoners. <laughs> All of them. All of them. Every last one. And that ties into another problem the people took with her, um, what was considered Florentine tactics, a.k.a. murder. Oh, I like, thought it was a nice way to make chicken. <laughs> Florentine tactics. She wasn't cooking. Uh, like Machiavellianism. So another fun fact, uh, Machiavelli's book, The Prince, was dedicated to Catherine's father. That was the famous book about mm. taking power by any means necessary yep. and yeah. um, 
So he dedicated that book to Catherine's father. So it's like it's like you correlate the Medi the Medici's with Machiavellianism, really. Um, and it was known at the time that Catherine ordered the poisoning of a handful of people. <gasps> known at the time, mm -hmm. uh, the Queen of Navarre, like that. which we'll talk briefly in a, in a bit, the Cardinal of Lorraine, a Marshal of France, and the Duke of Anjou. The Duke of Roast Beef Anjou. Anjou, yeah, that's where it comes from. So obviously, so. So we're clear, like the cardinal died from surgery, so he wasn't poisoned. And there she was... poisoned the mind of the person giving surgery to nick an artery. Yeah. And there's no record of how the marshal died, and the duke also died of tuberculosis. Uh, the, the marshal shit himself to death. <laughs> Probably. And it must be pointed out that poisoning at this time wasn't all that understood. Like it was hard to determine if people had in fact been poisoned or if it was something else. So people could have just been accused of poisoning people just because. And, and then when you torture someone, you can just get a confession out of them. It doesn't actually make it right. real. You can just be like... Kind of why torture is normally a horrible thing that should never be used on anyone ever. Yeah. Because it's completely useless outside of making you feel good that you hurt this person. Yeah. It could just be poison. Poison. And there were people that got away with it, of course, because they didn't understand poisoning. Mm -hmm. So... Everything could have been the result of poison. They didn't know poisoning the way you and I know it when we do it to our enemies. <laughs> um, and, and nobody understood germ theory, obviously. So I didn't even say no one understood German, but I feel like the Germans did. What? You said germ theory? Germ. But, you, but I thought you were going to say Germans. German theory. <laughs> poisoning was common for people in Catherine's family, and it, it was common all over Europe during this time, especially in France as it spread from Italy to other kingdoms. So like Italy was poison central was poison central. Like that's where they were making poison and stuff for the most part until it spread. Uh, her potions master is rumored to have made poisoned gloves and rouge for her and that her favorite method of poisoning was the gloves. Would you just touch someone and poison them? Well, making the gloves is like a process back then. It was like the there wasn't that much to do, so clothing definitely had way more to it. Right. Um, but perfumes were heavily used during this time, especially in Italy. And yeah, Everyone stunk. Catherine is attributed with bringing to the French court perfumed gloves, a.k.a. sweet gloves. That's what they called them. As we, as we know, people didn't bathe as often as we do now, so perfumes were great at covering odors. And the scented gloves were a perfect cover-up for poisoning because of how they were made. They they weren't easy to make, and they were infused with scent over and over and over until the scent was literally part of of the glove and the Jeez. leather, and so it would be really easy to get poison in there because it's literally infused. So it's like a little little dippy in the scent and a little dippy in the poison. Mm -hmm. um, but at least she was responsible for the popularization of scented gloves. <laughs> And, an, and another strike against her reputation is her interest in the occult. She consulted with Nostradamus. She believed in magic and that she had visions in her dreams. I mean, and like she did protect her husband's death. <laughs> so she did heavily rely on astrologers and astrology, and both were considered an acceptable form of science during the Renaissance. Like they went hand in hand. They were, they were science. Mm -hmm. Astrology and astronomy were tightly linked in this period and consist and were considered equal sciences. 
but she was a foreigner who used astrology. So it was acceptable, but she was a foreigner. Yeah, we, we've always, throughout all of human, people think like xenophobia and racism are, are bad now, but it's like, it's always been bad everywhere. Oh, yeah. Always, always. been even worse in yeah. most places. But yeah, we've always had a really, really dumb, shitty history of not lacking people if they didn't come from here. Right. No matter what your accent is. I always do a southern accent, then I feel bad. I'm like, I know. it's not just the south. No, the, it's not. I mean, the south might be super racist, but so is the north. Yeah, it's everywhere. And I know people just uh, immediately default to the south, but... It's a fun accent to do. It's a fun accent to How many people of. can do a Boston accent? Dude? Everyone tries to do it. Nobody fucking can. <laughs> they try. They don't. They end up talking more like they're from Maine with their Bahaba accent. Yeah. Like, that's but not... you know. That's not Boston. Every once in a just, while, we lose an eye. Not all ours. Yeah, just Some ask eyes. you. Yes. If you want to know, just ask Jesse. Or don't, because I'm lazy. <laughs> Please don't. Or do. All right, and... Or don't. All right, and Francis II was considered a physically weak boy, mm. he, and he never wanted to be king. Uh, he was married to. I do to, not want to be king. He was married to Mary, Queen of Scots, oh. when he was four years old, and when he became king, she became queen, and she was two years older than him. Um, so they were about seventeen when they inherited the throne. Got an idea where this is going now? I don't think you do. Yep. Since Henry wasn't interested in ruling, it was Mary that did a lot of that, which annoyed Catherine, huh. since she she was the regent and not Mary, even though Mary was the queen, but. Not really. Catherine didn't like that. But Francis II dies when he's 16. And that's... A lance through the eye that pierces his brain. It was probably an ear infection. Oh. Actually. Lance through the ear. Like, imagine dying of an ear infection back then. Ow. It must have gone to the brain. Ugh. Yeah. That's a, it's a bad thing to get an infection in your head at any point. Yeah. And at a time where there wasn't much actual medicine. Ow. I mean, considering how much an ear infection hurts now with treatment. That makes me hurt. I, I had a lot of ear infections when I was a kid. And I, and I had to get tubes in my ears because I had so many. And I ha- I still can remember the pain of ear infections from when I was like two and three years old. And I had them for a long time. It sucks. Imagine dying of one of those. Ew. Um, Mary was promptly shipped back to Scotland. Which was rough for her because she grew up in France and and knew nothing about living in Scotland. Like, she was never meant to be queen of Scotland. She was meant to be queen of France, and she lived there since she was four years old. Mm -hmm. So that's another really interesting story, but we won't get into that. Uh, Henry was then succeeded by 10-year-old Charles IX. She manages to keep control over the regency still, and we know that a succession is almost always a rough time in a country. We all know that. Mm Mm-hmm. There's factions and scheming and drama and fighting, and he reaches his majority at 13, one year earlier than normal, because the factions were so horrible that he needed to be king now. So from there, they went on an elaborate tour of France, um, Catherine and Charles. I also learned that Catherine had a retinue of bears that followed her around in <laughs> during this time. She had a parrot, a monkey, and also a household of dwarves. Oh. Like their All own, right. like their own little household with like hierarchies. Were there, um, um, what was the number of dwarves? I don't know, 
but it was a household. So it was like there would be like there you seven. Know. Was no. her nickname Snow White? Okay. Nope. Snow White is a German tale. Well, if it, if, you know what? If it's anything like the uh, English aristocracy monarchy now, it's all German. Right. In the end. It's all German in the end. Um, but dwarves are common in the uh, in courts and stuff. They were funny. <laughs> so they, they had their own household hierarchy and they wore elaborate clothes. Uh, uh, elaborate is a theme with Catherine. Yeah. Uh, they had their own servants. <laughs> uh, and all of this entourage traveled with her during this time. Um, she they, wa- they were like the billionaires of their days where they just... They just could, because. It was, yeah, we can just do whatever we want. Doesn't matter how shitty life is for everyone else. We get every little accoutrement we want and yeah. screw the little, screw the actual day-to-day people. They're, the, we're, they're just there for us to walk on their backs. Right. And even the animals is like that. That's just a sad life. They, they just existed for, for royals to like look at them and go, wow, isn't that cool? And then that's about it. <laughs> Um, but the reason Catherine wanted to have this tour was so that the people could see the king and the aristocracy could meet him in person. And so he could be like a really real person. Like this is an actual person. And to dissuade people from rallying against him and to try and stop any faction fighting for control, which always works. France is definitely not known for their revolutions. They love when people are in power and they never question it. No, right, that's true, and even and even the little even the littler ones, littler kingdoms and whatever, everybody's really happy all the mm-hmm. time. Uh, the Guise family and the Bourbons are the major factions in this story. The Bourbons are are a royal family. Uh, they're a junior house that is just under the house of Valois, which there that's the current dynasty, and they will go on to be the rulers after the Valois because they're going to end. Mm. Uh, and if you're, if you're wondering how the two houses are stationed in the hierarchy, the two houses branch from Louis the ninth, who was also sainted. He was a sainted King, St. Louis, the only French King to be sainted. And what did he do to be sainted? He, that was his life's mission was mm. to be sainted. I think he did some, um, paid a lot of he money. He did some crusade stuff oh. and, um, I, and I read a really good book and for my degree, um, about him in college, St. Louis, and it was called the making of St. Louis, uh, kingship, sanctity, and crusade in the later middle age ages. And like I said, it tells how he was basically, his life's goal was to be a saint. Like, isn't a, a prerequisite of being a saint is that you, you commit one miracle. Like you, you, you do, you do a miracle. Yeah, it was probably him like healing people by touch. I think yeah. that's that's what his that's what his thing was. He spit on like a peop- dirty window and then it was clean. Yeah, that would be. I would have to know what it was. His um, miracle. I, Mother Teresa is a saint now, and I imagine it's for being so unbelievably great at torturing people. That's not a miracle. I mean, they sainted her, so it must have been. Yeah, she was really miraculously good at it. Miraculously good at making people think she was a good person. I know. It's sad. You but, must suffer to be closer to God. Oh, yeah, she did say that. Yeah, that was her whole thing, was yeah. making people suffer horribly their entire, so that they could experience the pain that Jeebus felt. Yeah. The more you know. Mm-hmm. 
So the major difference between these families, the biggest difference is... Their names. The biggest difference oh. is the Bourbons are Huguenots, which is which are front Protestant Calvinists. Oh, I thought those were the people who were with Jason. Jason and the Huguenots? No. They're wrong. Oh, those and, are Argonauts. Never mind. Yeah, they're, that's wrong. They're, Hugen, they're Huguenots, which are French Protestants. And the other faction is the Guise family, and they are ultra-Catholic. And so this little faction between between these families is indicative of, of France as, as a whole. And the Protestant Reformation began in 1517, and that was two years before Catherine was born. And, of course, that began with Martin Luther's 95 Thesis. And then John Calvin was very much responsible for spreading Protestantism in France. And then that was called Calvinism. But really, it's, we're just going to say Protestantism. Mm -hmm. It's easier. France will have nine wars of religion altogether um, during the time of... Here's the title, the St. Bar Bartholomew's Day Massacre. I knew it. You did? No. Okay. So at this time, there have already been three, the time of this massacre. Oh. The Protestant Revolution has been going hard for about half a century now. The Reformation stalled in the 1550s, but then came back really hard throughout swaths really of hard. throughout swaths of Europe. In the 1560s, there were large popular there there were large popular uprisings in France, and they were supported by many of the nobility. And dare I say, because this division was a great way to stir up dissent and to gather support for political gains by piggybacking on the existing religious division. And right after I wrote that down, when I was listening to my podcast right after I wrote that down, the BBC podcast I was listening to said the same thing. And I was like, yes, <laughs> I am vindicated. Uh, but, but these wars definitely do not boil down to just politics. They're, they are very strong ideals that people are getting behind. And if it weren't for the regular schmegular people, these ideals wouldn't catch on and spread like they do because religion is, very important in these days. And so we can't play down the importance. There's always politics, but religion is very important. And I'll just quickly, I'll just quickly say what's the difference between Catholicism and Protestantism and what it boils down to is how you will be saved. And the Catholics believe it is through a mass and saints and idolatry and Protestants believe there is nothing you can do to be saved. And it all depends on the grace of God, whether or not he will save you. And Isn't also like the King of England, God on Earth or something with them? Yeah, the, yeah. I was I was going to touch on it briefly. Oh. Is like it, it really ties into the idea of monarchy mm -hmm. as well. And further, the Protestants believe that the whole structure of the the church is irrelevant. <gasps> And even further than that, the church is an evil operation that are conning the people. I mean, they're not wrong. And, and as you were just said, this has even further repercussions beyond the church. In the process of contesting the Catholic Church, they are also contesting the, uh, the raison d'etre of the monarchy itself, which is the reason for them to be. And the reason for the mon monarchy has deep roots in the church and, I, and I, um, icono iconography. I always say that wrong. Iconography. I always want to say iconography, but it's iconography. Mm. The king is literally appointed by God, a.k.a. the Pope. You know, same thing. 
there's also an uh, another really good book about this called The King's Two Bodies. And that's one of my favorite books. It's really good. And the, the King's Two Bodies would be his earthly body and his spiritual body, which allowed his perpetual rule. Wow. And that's the meaning behind the king is dead. Long live the king. It's because... His body's rotting and being eaten by worms, but his spiritual body lives on like yes. a ghost. The Ooh. king is is the king is a body of is a vessel of God. Hmm. The city of Paris was already embroiled in factions and aggressions between the Huguenots and Catholics. Protestants were not permitted to hold public religious services within the city, besides a brief period for one year that happened. Most Protestants practiced in secret and kept their conversion secret. The Protestant community was constantly being persecuted. Their property was pillaged by city officers. And because of the, the jurisdictions of different forms of officials, you know, like what we would know today as like police and the guards and government officials, like they overlapped so much. And the Protestants were like, they were just bothered constantly without any escape because it was just coming from all directions. And, you know, at this time, there were accusations of harassment and false arrest and battery, extortion and theft by city authorities. There were lots of Protestants that just simply left the city and the numbers reduced drastically after the peak of Protestantism in 1561 to 1562. That was when they were allowed to practice mm. that one year. But overall, the Catholics didn't really care about the numbers because to them, the problem was the threat of heresy and that it was spreading. So the Protestants were considered a threat, even though their numbers had been declining after each religious war up until this point. So during the three wars, it's like the numbers were just going down, but the Catholics were like, doesn't matter. You know, they're still a threat. And there were many large scale public attacks on Protestant crowds um, and crowds of worshipers were attacked and Catholic preachers were stirring up violence in the churches and Protestants were even publicly executed for heresy. And the sentence for that could include being burned alive. Ooh. And burned corpses were often dragged through the street. Jesus. That seems like overkill. Well, they are Catholics. Yeah. It's always dramatic. <laughs> um, and it's the popular belief is that Henry II was so obsessed with foreign wars that would be the um the father. Mm -hmm. um, he was so obsessed with foreign wars that he basically ignored the religious problems in his country. Um, he didn't make time to deal with the spread of Protestantism and how it was going to affect the French people and their religious differences. And since she's a regent for child kings, Catherine is strained dealing with political factions and religious factions as well as maintaining power with her sons. And already she's been villainized as a religious zealot who was out for Protestant blood. But on the contrary, she actually passed laws separating heresy from sedition and worked towards toleration in the early 1560s when, you know, things were starting to get heated. She passed a royal edict in 1561 that ordered the cessation of all religious violence and persecution. But... That, that never holds. No, that did very little. Harassment continued on all levels and... One trivial harassment recorded was when a group of boys marched through the streets and forced people to genuflect to <laughs> crosses and saints and stuff. Uh, the, and the edict 
still forbade Protestant services, but Catholics felt the edict meant religious freedom. And another edict was passed that doubled down on the prohibition of Protestant services, but Protestants couldn't be persecuted for what they did in their homes. And the Protestants read that to mean that they were given permission to assemble in houses and outside the city walls. And the Huguenots wanted Catherine to do more. And the, the Catholics were saying she's doing too much. And she might even become a Protestant herself. <gasps> I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place. <laughs> but she's Italian. I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place. <laughs> And the decade leading up to this massacre, the St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre, was, like, really brutal. Like, there was already three wars. There there was mob violence everywhere. There was starvation due to grain sh- shortage, shortage, national, national, natural disasters and socioeconomic tensions and riots. There was a siege to the city by the Huguenots, and there was assassinations and Huguenots planned to abduct the king. Jeez. There was Protestant ejection from the cities. There was a plague. The plague came back around, killed 25,000 people. Xenophobia. It was like... Those damn foreigners bringing in the plague. Yeah, it was just a pressure. It was just a pressure cooker. Mm-hmm. It was so bad. You know, but but just like today, there you more people hated the violence than condoned it. It's just the violence just overtook everything. You know, it, so people were just like us today. Most people didn't want this, but, you know. It is what it is. But, you know, they some people just are complacent. They feel helpless is like, well, how much can you do against right. a giant mob? Yeah, and like, how am I going to stop violence by being violent? <laughs> by 1572, lines have already begun to form in Europe. The North is becoming more Protestant and the South is remaining Catholic. And France is right in the middle. So the revolution could go either way. Uh, there isn't a majority of Protestants, but there are large populations in like strategic areas and towns and cities. And most importantly, the nobility. One of which is the Prince of Navarre. And by the time of the massacre, the war so far had killed off the head Protestant leaders of the house and there are two Protestant Bourbon princes left as heads of the family, and that's the Prince de Condé and Henry of Navarre. And Catherine arranges a marriage for peace between Prince Henry of Navarre and her daughter, Margaret. Um, but they called her Margot. This is, of course, a marriage of the blood, which is royal to royal, since <gasps> Henry is a prince in his own right. So mm-hmm. a marriage of the blood is two, wow. two hoity-toity actual blood royal people. And this is expected to unite the Valois and the Bourbon and in turn expected to help unite Protestants and Catholics. It was it was a definitely uh, going to work. That always helps. It was a symbolistic union. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know, maybe some people are wondering why you would even want to marry two people of opposite religions. And that could go even so far as to be considered like the two factions could be considered actively at war. So it's like. Why would you even do that? It's obviously not going to work. And the the artistic and courtly ideology of love at the time was unreligious. It was transcendent and the harmonizing of opposites. Mm. So it was natural for a woman to gravitate toward using a marriage to subvert war. So it was like the religious ideals were kind of like 
bouncing off against the courtly ideology of love and it was like this really isn't gonna work but you know the courts say love is transcendent and around that time there were a lot of women monarchs elizabeth the first mary the first mary of scotland and they wanted to unite and create harmony so this was an ideal option for catherine i'm sure it's going to work out great not that you've already brought up that there's a giant massacre coming. And also, this will be a reason for everyone to celebrate the marriage peacefully. Very, With very, a joust. Very, very peacefully in Paris, like all together, very, mm. very united. Everyone's super happy. Everything's going to be great. Love always wins. Don't uh, you love the Pope? I'll kill you. However, uh, just weeks before the wedding, Henry's mother dies and Catherine was su suspected of poisoning her. Uh, because of her protest against the match. And Catherine had gifted her a set of sweet gloves <gasps> as a welcome to the family present. Well, welcome to the family present. That's that's ominous. Right. But it would have been considered rude for her to have not sent a gift to her daughter's future mother-in-law. I would say don't send one that is easy to poison someone with. Right. But the, but the gloves at the time were a super common gift in the royal court. And, and this is a gift from a queen, so it carried a lot of symbolism of affection. But since the French already had so much distrust in Catherine, this just added one more thing to the list. I of, am an affectionately mm, killing you. One more thing on the list against her. But by the way, Catherine most likely did not. She did not poison the Queen of Navarre with gloves because historians have debunked this, and they think she died of tuberculosis. Mm. But it was Plus, just what I mean, even though she had she was against it, it, she hadn't stopped it. So what would that have gained for her politically? Right. It was just a really it was just a really um, badly, unfortunately, timed death. And it, and it threw a wrench into the, the peace treaties. So it sucked. But of course, they're just like poison, like we said. Poison. Well, I mean, so much of history is just people saying something happened enough that other people then take it as gospel. Just yeah. look at the play Hamilton. Let's not. Okay. And here's where it really starts to get messy. Oh. Ad Admiral Gaspard de Kalingi. Kalingi. Oh, no. Kalinicus. Kalingi. Kalingi. I, I was like, I knew how to pronounce it, mm. but Kalingi. Um, he takes up with the, the bourbon Huguenot movement since so many of the heads of the house were dead and he wants to squeeze himself in there and he has a lot of plans. He comes to Paris to groom favor and become an advisor to the young King Charles. His plan is to get Catholics and Huguenots together to fight the Spanish in the Netherlands. And the wedding is a great excuse to see if Charles wants to be in on his plan. Um, but uh, Coligny is really unpopular at court. Um, most of the court are Catholic and the Guises do not want to go to war with Spain because they're Catholic. The Guises also hate him because they believed he's responsible for the death of someone in their family. Oh. And Catherine really doesn't want war either. And she doesn't care for his influence over Charles. And up until this. So she poisons him with sweet gloves. I keep going. <laughs> Up until this point, Catherine has some sort of ban from the Guises taking revenge against uh, Coligny. Why do we keep getting this wrong? Mm. I heard so many people say it. Um, so she has a ban for revenge against him for the supposed 
murder in their family. And it was never proven he had anything to do with it anyway. It's just petty Proof politics. Proof doesn't matter. It's, it's never mattered in history. Yeah, they could. Um, it's always petty politics, basically. After all this, she lifts the ban. And not only that, she approves the assassination plan for after the wedding ceremony's end. She's like, okay, let's just... You may now kiss the bride. <laughs> the wedding takes place on August 18. 1572, uh, the marriage, the marriage takes place outside of Notre Dame, and Notre Dame. then there's a, a wedding mass inside Notre Dame with her brother uh, as proxy because Henry can't take part in the Catholic mass. So there's a wedding outside, and then there's a wedding inside. <laughs> this is gonna go great. Yep. Uh, the the fest the festivals and parties go on for days. Um, calling me calling. Who cares? Collingy. Collingy. <laughs> Collingy doesn't really care about the wedding and parties, and he's hanging around to talk to Charles about the war in Spain, and he's getting pissed off because Charles keeps putting him off. So he's like, he just won't stop. And he starts to threaten that there will be a civil war rather than a foreign war if this meeting does not take place, like, now. It seems like you are just asking You're for just it. asking to get yeah. killed. Uh, the celebrations finally end on August 22nd, and Colin Yee is going for a walk, and that's when an assass assassin shoots him from a window, a geese window. <gasps> but at that very moment, he bends over to adjust his shoe, and the, the shot <laughs> hits his arm instead, which is arguably worse. <laughs> yeah, especially with shatters stuff. The, the Huguenots get really pissed about this assassination attempt. Charles has no idea about this plan, of course, because he's he's basically a man-child. He's, he's 22, but... He's a puppet king. Yeah, he has no desire to be responsible for anything. Um, but Charles swears to find out who was behind the attempt, and not having a, a clue at all, it was, it was his own family. <laughs> so Charles... It, Charles asks Colin Yee to stay rather than leave the city because, of course, he's like, I want to leave. Um, but he, but then he has to because he can't deny the king, um, which would be really insulting. But he should have left. Mm -hmm. And Catherine cannot, cannot be found to be involved in this assassination attempt. She has a crisis meeting with nobles. She has crisis meetings with nobles to figure out what to do next, which what happened during these meetings, nobody, nobody knows for sure. It's just speculation. Um, the Guises, of course, are already implicated and threatening to leave the city, and the Navarre are also threatening to leave. And the civil wars have only been over at this point for two years, and it, if something isn't done, then they could very well start up again. Like, this is like this is boiling over right now. Um, so there was about two to three crisis meetings, and Catherine conducts them in her garden, like, so she can't be spied on, but also so people could openly see who she was meeting with. Mm -hmm. So the plan ultimately ended up being, let's kill all the Huguenot nobles and captains who are still in the city. Okay. That's, Full stop. That is a... Yeah. That, okay. That's what ended up, that, that was the plan. This was the great plan. Boy, they really thought that one through. And there's only speculation about how it became the plan, um, and one thought is the Catholic nobles thought the Huguenots were going to kill them. And therefore in response, they were going to attack first to avoid some sort of coup. And historians really 
don't think this is the reason because it really doesn't matter if the Huguenots were going to stage a coup. It only matters that the Valois think that they were. So it's like it, it didn't matter either way because either way it was going to happen. <laughs> in reality, uh, there were so many Huguenot nobles in, in your city, like right at this moment. Like some are even in your home. Like they're all here and, and they're about to not be here. Mm. And they and they'll be free to go to their own homes and and plot and raise their own armies because you know this is this has caused a lot of tension, and plan and plan their own coups. So it's like it's really thick, like tension is like thick with like two C's. Like the smog in L.A. It's thick, and and everyone thinks everyone is about to attack. So if there was ever a time to to make a big move, it would be now. Like you can't let it. You can't let it get away. I would make a joke about the end of The Godfather, but I don't think you've ever seen it. Mm, nope. Kind of like this. They can't let the opportunity get away. And and so it's funny. It's like throughout history, it's it's always the woman's fault, but... It was everyone agreeing to it in this crisis meeting and everyone yeah. else feeling the same way on their side. Yeah, but ultimately, uh, it had to have been approved by Catherine and the king. So, unfortunately... Can we it, call them King Thrin? and you know so unfortunately it it actually was her fault so they gave every huguenot sweet gloves that would have been nice 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 little royal gift out of respect it's decided that the valois and the guises would quote call the protestant nobles and that meant deciding who should be murdered they had to, to make it count. So that means that the prince needed to go and large numbers of the, the nobles and the court. And now they need the king's approval to go through with the massacre. And they admit to Charles that they were behind the assassination and they did it because the Huguenots are about to perform a coup and they <laughs> push him into approving um, to kill a hand-picked list of people. We were going to, they're going to do a coup because we were going to kill because we killed because they cooed and, oh, just, just yeah. sign up, Charles. And, okay. <laughs> okay. They, it's quoted that, that Charles said, kill them, but kill them all. Don't leave a single one alive to reproach me. But that, that wasn't true. It wasn't a true quote. It was a, it was attributed to a fake memoir of the Duke of Anjou. So it was like fake news. Um, and the king. That is, um, that is most of the news throughout history is fake news. Fake news. And historians are just arguing about what is fake fake news or what's faker news. Mm-hmm. Um, so Charles is under the impression I, that... I don't think Alexander Hamilton talk rapped once in his entire life. We might really need to get down to the bottom of that. That's my new mission. Probably in hell where he is because he was such a shitty person. Talk rap. Um, so Charles is under the impression that they are, they're only going to kill the people on the list. <laughs> and uh, I... Something about this felt really familiar to me. There's a, there's a there's an episode, very famous episode of Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. where this sounds like that. Yeah. So it, it this so this is this massacre is basically the inspiration for for the Red Wedding. So big inspiration. The plan is for the murders to take place early in the morning of August twenty fourth, which is now. which is um, St. Bartholomew's Day. And the assassins were going to 
The assassinations were going to be carried out by the king's royal bodyguards as well as Guy's troops. The city was going to be completely closed off and the militia will be guarding the gates and the Seine River would be blocked by barges and the signal was going to be the 3 a.m. bell. But of course, since this was a plan that was made literally on the fly, like so many things went wrong and the murders start early because they started on the bell of the wrong church. (laughs) The royal troops were supposed to cross the bridges and secure the Huguenot contingents in the south of Paris, but they couldn't find the keys (laughs) to the bridge (laughs) gates. So the the first man to be killed was calling me. That's what I think it is calling me. And he was recovering from the shot earlier yeah it's a pretty easy target yeah so they're like you first buddy because we missed the first time but we won't miss the second time um when calling me realizes he was going to be killed he's annoyed that it's by a geese bodyguard and he said he should at least be killed by a gentleman <laughs> so he was killed with a sword he was run through with a, a sword and while still alive he was thrown out of the window and later beheaded okay And But since the royal troops couldn't find those keys, they lost half an hour and someone was able to swim across the Seine and warn the other Huguenots that Coligny was killed. And as as Guise leaves the apartments after Coligny's murder, he says, it's the king's well. (gasps) Like the big big boy of the Guise. And that's the message that gets transmitted to the people and the Huguenots that the murders had been sanctioned by the king. Uh, at the Louvre, it's 3 a.m., and Henry of Navarre was heading to the tennis courts <laughs> with his friends. Dangerous. Don't it's go. Chekhov's tennis court. It came back. Don't go play tennis if you're a Valois or you're in the Valois. <laughs> Don't go play tennis if you're a Valois. That fits surprisingly well. Mm-hmm. So he was, having a, he was having a hard time sleeping, so that's why he was going to go play tennis at 3 a.m., you know, normal normal stuff uh the the guards stopped them and he took his friends away and probably killed them immediately then he was taken and locked up with his cousin the prince of of conde and they aren't going to be killed oh the huguenots staying in the palace are all killed their throats are cut uh those are trying to run away or shot by archers in the courtyard and i think we forgot about princess margo oh because she's there yeah she was at the apartments with her with Henry, the Protestant husband, and one of Margot's sisters begged Catherine to let her come stay with them for the night, but Catherine refused because she thought that Margot not staying there would be a signal to the Huguenots that something was wrong. So they're like, sorry. Uh-huh. <laughs> she doesn't have any idea about it though. She doesn't yeah. know, she doesn't know what the plan is. She's woken up when one of her husband's men runs into her room covered with blood and literally clings to her as He's pursued by an assassin and she gets, she gets the man to spare his life. But I mean, you're woken up with somebody running into your room, covered with blood, yeah. grabbing onto you and saying, please don't let them kill me. Yeah. Jesus. I mean, I don't blame him. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's intense. By 5 a.m. The list has been completed and everybody on the list has been killed, but the killing doesn't stop. Oh boy. The rest of the population also starts to get involved. A lot of Huguenots have come to the city, come, coming to visit relatives and whatnot for the wedding. Um, they and nobody spared. People Jesus. are being murdered everywhere. 
this is also a great opportunity for people to deal with their own personal yeah, problems. Yeah, just kill someone in yeah. the middle of all this carnage. Yeah, everybody's being killed around you. So, so it's pretty like, much the purge. Yeah, it's a purge. The the Huga purge, no. Yeah, who's going to know? And while I was, I was listening to uh, the BBC podcast about this, and it's from 2003, but like the relevance, the relevance still like really struck me now. Like, you know, people, they had been neighbors and they'd known each other for years, and now it's like they were given permission, um, they were given permission to hate. Yeah. You know? Even though it was it was a boiling point up until then, but it was like this was a, a catalyst. To... Yeah, it was like they were allowed to express how they really felt in the most literal senses, and they were given sanction to kill people. Mm. So just it just allowed people to like physically express how much hate they are. You imagine being like, "Hey, Joe," and then the, the next day it's like, "You're a Protestant. I'm going to kill you." <laughs> I don't know. Um, so it, it's complete. It's complete bloody mayhem. Uh, the massacre goes on for three days. Charles has asked the people of Paris to please stop the killing, but nobody listens. And of course, the the people behind Charles, since he's he's a man child, oh, yeah. he's a puppet. Um, they're they're putting on the show of like, please stop, please stop the killing. But at the same time, they're allowing it to happen. Yeah. So it's it's chaos, and it's extremely difficult to centralize the the intent and the orders because it's, it's all out of control now. And then it starts to spread outside the city. Oh, lo- lovely. And much of it depends on like the proximity to Paris and from there it blossomed from from the initial carnage when the, the king's intention wasn't clear. So like Catholic nobles and representatives leave Paris and return to their provinces with orders from the king to kill their Huguenot population. Mm. They're like, we have orders. And then it spreads into the provinces and the killing doesn't stop until October. Wow. Because they were like, we have permission to kill. So we're going to do that. And until modern times, it was thought that Charles condoned the massacre outside outside of Paris as well. But there were two dispatches sent by Charles to the provinces where he ordered the recipients to comply with peace. And the Calvinist historians claim that this was just a ruse that contradicted oral instructions to his governors. So that's like what everybody thought, mm-hmm. um, that he was just like sending them as a cover up, but that he really was telling people to keep the killing. There is some evidence that he did that he did have oral orders and and even arrested some Huguenots and seized their property. But eventually he renounced the oral orders he sent out. But they did not include mass killings of Huguenots. His orders were not mass killings. Yeah. And in private, he said he thought the Huguenots should be spared, but he was scared to announce this public publicly against the popular opinion of the court. So it was yes. like he was really caught. Yep. Even though he sanctioned the initial killings, like there's no way you could know that this was going to happen. So there were oral oral orders, and then there were rescinding of orders. And it's a pretty good uh, clear indicator that once you start saying yes, you can kill a whole bunch of people, that it's probably going to get really messy and bad. It's going to get do hard that. to stop. Yeah. The the num nobody has the exact numbers. Um, in, re- in relation to this, it depends. Like it on- was seven hundred and forty eight million people. I might be a little high. That's that's what the Huguenots would say. Yeah. Um, there were 14 billion of us at the time. Like the the Catholic, 
like a Catholic report said 2,000 and then a Huguenot says 70,000. Um, but it's, it's estimated there was two to 3,000 people killed in, in Paris and 10 to 12,000 in the provinces, mm. which is a lot. The population of Paris at the time is, is 200 to 300,000. And there was never any official inquest, so there's no official records. Yeah. And official records would be bullshit anyways. Yeah, always, and it was, so. they didn't even bother with it. Yeah. And that's, they didn't that, even bother lying. Yeah, that's how they wanted it to be. Um, after this, there were a large number of Protestants that convert back to Catholicism and start attending masses and renouncing their faith. And it's done very publicly. And the church starts keeping lists of people who are converted back. And, and they don't really, they don't convert back for show. Like they, they remain converted. Like mm-hmm. the Protestant, the, the Protestant numbers massively were massively reduced. This after is just this. not worth it. Yeah. And, and then the, but the divide just gets worse and worse. It, it makes it hard for business to go on as usual. And, and monarchs in between, com- in between countries have a hard time dealing with trouble. It just makes the problem even bigger because mm-hmm. it's now it's extremely violent. And not all the Huguenot arist- aristocracy is killed. Only some of them manage to escape. And this is this is the the future seeds of rebellion. The mm-hmm. people that manage to get out, that the higher ups. Most of the um, those that escaped had decided to move away from all the other. Well, the pe- okay, the people that managed to escape the city during the massacre was because they had decided to like separate themselves. They're like a, a lot of us are there, so we're gonna go somewhere else. So they were the ones that that stayed somewhere else in the city because they were like they're skeptical. Yeah, their uh, their danger detectors went off and they're like, "Oh man, like, we would really be able to easily get wiped out yeah, if, if we, we were all stayed all here. here." This is just asking for trouble. <laughs> yeah. So there, there's not very many first hand first hand accounts, and all most of them don't come right away like it, it, they come decades later because it was just so horrific that people just they didn't want to talk about it so they i mean they could say what happened but they they couldn't say why it happened no official inquest still among catholics there is a collective disgust about what happened there's a little bit mm-hmm. catholic guilt well they're guilty they didn't finish the job they're like oh do better kill them all but after this, Catholicism, Catholicism itself starts to split, and there's a split into the extremists who oppose the monarchy um, and the Protestants. They oppose both, and the aversion towards monarcho-Catholic politics continues to grow, and that's what gets a Protestant king on the throne in the very near future. Oh. And we also start to see the stereotype of Catholics being violent and barbaric, and that lasted through the centuries. You know, like the the Irish and the English are like, mm-hmm. look at these violent Catholics. Yeah. Um, While the, you know, con- you know, conquering half the goddamn globe in England. Yeah, I know. Like the Protestants are so peaceful. You are so barbaric. All right, let's take over all of Southeast Asia. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, pol- political cartoons and stuff at the time they're showing Catherine standing on top of a pile of dead babies and. They show Charles laughing while people are slaughtered below him um, or show him being manipulated by his born Italian black queen mother. Mm. I'm sure and, she was drawn very nicely and not a caricature at all. And, uh, you know, this is 
this is a character that just follows her throughout history. And, you know, that's, she's seen the as... dead baby queen. Yeah, she's she's a, a black witch and a black queen and a villain. I mean, she kind of... I mean, she earned it. She kind of was. Like, she ordered a massacre. <laughs> but shades of gray. <laughs> um, Char- Charles is, like, he's really distraught after the massacre, and he's really upset about it, and he feels really guilty. Um, and he dies not long after this. And then his brother becomes Henry III, and he is Catherine's favorite son. So she continues to be super involved in his life and and advising him and keeping him in line. All the kings need to be kept in line. Catherine dies in 1589, and eight months after that, Henry III is murdered by a crazed friar. Oh, Jesus. He doesn't have children, so the crown passes down to the family next in line, which is the burp. The Bourbons. Mm. They were the ones right right below. Yep. Specifically Henry of Navarre, Margot's husband. Ah. And he will become Henry the Fourth. And since they really don't like each other, they manage to get their marriage annulled, which is I don't know how they would manage to get their marriage annulled after years. Give and, the priest enough money. Um the Pope, I mean. Or um Henry's new wife is gonna be Marie de Medici. Mm. Well, there you go. And how? How? Because um, he because uh, Henry was in major debt to the Medici bank, and also uh, the Medici offered him a huge dowry to marry her. Mm-hmm. And well, he and then he refused to have her coronated for ten years, <laughs> and then he was assassinated, quote unquote, the day after her coronation. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! And just the moment he opens the dowry, it just shoots an hour right in his face. Yeah, she's like, bitch. <laughs> you cannot open this until uh, tomorrow. Yep, so um, the Bourbon dynasty is the last one, and that and they go on until the French Revolution 200 years later. And the, from this time, this is when the French word massacre takes on the new meaning, because before that, it massacre just meant butcher's block. Mm-hmm. And now it has evolved and has taken on a meaning like the Holocaust means now and murder on a massive scale. And then that's <clears throat> and then that's when it enters the English language. Mm-hmm. So it's it, it the word evolved from this because they probably had like a colloquialism or something attached to the word. And we always just take other countries words for English. Yeah. So so, you know, it massacre means butcher's block. Mm-hmm. Um, and then. It evolved, and then that, and it passed on to us. Thank you, Queen Lady, Regent Lady. Thanks for giving us a new word. Yep, it was worth word. all those thousands of deaths. Yeah. So, you know, final thoughts on Catherine. Like, oh, we've said it many times. His, she wasn't the great. She wasn't the great one. Sorry. She was great at massacring. She didn't massacre anybody. She just she told, told other to. people to yeah. do it. You know, so she's just been seen as a as, as like a witch. She one of her nickname nicknames is the woman who eats little children, <laughs> and the Italian the Italian woman, Madame Serpent, Queen Jezebel, the Black Queen. Even I've read some historical fiction about her, about her being an evil sorceress queen, and she and final thoughts, final mm-hmm. fun fact. She was credited with creating the Black Mass, along with her favorite 
and final King Sun. Everyone wearing black. And Catherine never seemed to care what people thought about her. Mm. Ever. So So she was a badass bitch. Yep. She was a bamf. Well, thank you so much, honey, for all your hard work to bring me this fascinating story from world history. Did you like the story? I did. I love it when a bunch of nobles get killed. Sad about the not nobles getting killed, but rich people getting offed. Well, it's rich people creating all creating massacres for the little people. Yeah. Then the little people were able to do all their murdering. They they finally got to do yeah, that. Yeah, they for were a few allowed months. to get some steam, get mm-hmm. some steam off their chest. Probably killed some puppies and kittens, though. It's not worth it. On that happy note, thank you everyone for watching. Listen, watching. Thank you everyone for listening. Um, this will go up on YouTube and have a nice static image of our incredible logo. Thanks again to Pre Drag. From uh, my friend over at Xbox Era for creating multiple logos for our podcast because he's so very good. How kind. Yes, he's the best. Thank you, Pre-Drag. We love you. And we kiss you. (laughs) From afar. So yeah, thank you everyone who listened to this. We'll be back again sometime soon. We'll uh, try and keep up a decent cadence, but Amanda puts a lot of work into him, so it can take a little while. Yeah. But it's <clears throat> it's our little passion project, something we love to do, and we thank you for listening. Yeah, and we will see you next time here on Deceptive Methods.